This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Women at Work on Business Radio. Welcome to Women at Work in our weekly conversation about how we can help more women join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics. New episodes of Women at Work premiere on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, and be sure to follow the show on the channel's Twitter handle, at SXM Business, and check out our full catalog of past shows. They're available wherever you get your podcasts. Just search on Laura, Zarrow, and Women at Work to find us. And if you do take a peek at our past shows, you'll see that there are issues that we keep coming back to because they are so pervasive and complex that we can't possibly tackle them in one show. On the short list is sexual harassment in the workplace. It's effectively an epidemic that as many as eight out of 10 women experience in their lifetimes. While this is an infuriating and often demoralizing fact, many of us are filled with hope for systemic change, largely because of today's guest. One of America's most successful journalists, Gretchen Carlson, has been on the front lines of the biggest stories shaping our nation for over two decades. Her groundbreaking 2016 complaint against Roger Ailes, her boss at Fox News, made her the subject of one of those stories and ignited the hashtag MeToo movement in the process by holding predators and their employers accountable really for the first time. Since then, she's become a major force in creating solutions while continuing to bring all of us the stories we so need to hear. She's the author of Be Fierce, co-founder of the nonprofit Lift Our Voices, a member of the Time's Up Global Leadership Board, and host of the new daily podcast, Get the News with Gretchen Carlson on Quake Media. And that's just what she's currently doing. I could go on forever with her previous list of accomplishments. She's also the executive producer of Unread Messages, a world-first four-part docuseries using text messaging to take on the hard conversations American families are having every day. It's no wonder she's been recognized by Time Magazine as one of the most 100 most influential people in the world. Gretchen, we're honored to have you with us. Welcome to Women at Work. Laura, it's so great to be with you. Uh, This is something that I know is near and dear to your heart uh, as far as making sure more women are working um, and able to keep their jobs. And it's something that's so important to me. Gretchen, I'd like to start by something you've been talking a lot about, which is forced arbitration. Mm -hmm. Would you explain what it is and why it's such a problem? Yeah, so most people have no idea what forced arbitration means if they have it in their work contract. Uh, Before the pandemic, when I would go and speak to huge groups of two and 3,000 people, I would ask them as my first question, raise your hand if you know whether or not you have a forced arbitration clause in your employment contract and nobody would budge because nobody knows. So this has become one of my life passions right now because I had a forced arbitration clause in my last contract at Fox News. And why did that matter? That mattered because instead of being able to go to an open jury process for my claims of sexual harassment, I was going to be thrown into forced arbitration, forced being the operative word, not my choice. And it's a secret chamber where no one would have ever found out what had happened to me. And this is happening to women and men all across our country. 60 million Americans have these clauses in their employment contracts now. Most don't even know they have them. Most don't know the ramifications. And basically it means that you're silenced. 
So if you have a problem at work, whether it's harassment, gender discrimination, race discrimination, LGBTQ discrimination, and you have one of these clauses, you will be silenced forever. You'll go to this secret chamber. Instead of being able to have an open lawsuit, you will not get the same amount of witnesses or depositions. The company many times picks your arbitrator for you because they come back for repeat business. Very small percentage of the time does the employee actually win. The people who are the arbitrators are retired judges and lawyers who, let's face it, aren't a jury of our peers. They're old white guys. Right. And, and there are no appeals, Laura. So, and you can never tell anyone what happened to you. So the predator gets to keep working because nobody knows what's going on. And now you're forced out of your job. You never work again. That's what I'm trying to really find out at Lift Our Voices through our research because nobody's ever done this. How many people have we pushed? out of the workplace into these secret channels where nobody ever hears from them again. So this is what my bill is on the Hill. This is all about eradicating this silencing mechanism and it will help millions of Americans when I pass this. I wanna unpack this a bit because there are a lot of important concepts in here that I think our listeners um, are gonna to wanna to know more about also so that they can figure out how does this relate to their own lives and not to mention how they then engage in politics and advocate for the passage and it's HR 1443, correct? Yes, that was the number in the old Congress. Um, I just testified before House Judiciary because now we have a new Congress. So the bill is about to be introduced. It's bipartisan, by the way, in the House and the Senate uh, in the coming weeks. Then it will have a new number. But if people want to go and read, it's only three pages long, really easy to digest. Um, they can look up under HR 1443. They will be able to see the language that's pretty much going to stay the same. This is so exciting to hear. I'm going to go back to unpacking it for what it means for us starting from the moment when we take on a new job. Um, I remember the last time I had one of those in a contract and I remember looking at it and the pressure that I felt at the moment was that they weren't going to take it out so I could either take it or leave it. Right. Um, is that the experience most people are having? Yes, if they even know it's in there. I mean, in some cases it's in, in such fine print or in really egregious cases, they will send you an email at work and tell you to like update your status of your job. And by simply clicking on the email, you have opted into arbitration without even really knowing it. I mean, it's incredibly onerous. Um, but if it's actually in your contract, I mean, I remember saying to my agent at the time, because I hadn't had this in my contract before, you know, what is this arbitration thing? And, and I'm an educated, you know, woman, like this is not like I was naive. But she said to me at the time, oh yeah, everyone has arbitration now. It's, it's sort of the way of the world. Um, you know, don't worry about it. Well, I knew what was happening to me at work, but I didn't understand you know, the ramifications of what arbitration meant. And I will tell you, Laura, that it was my darkest day in my life when my lawyer said to me, you have an arbitration clause and that technically means you have no case. And I said, what? And they said, you have no case. You're going to this secret chamber. And had they not figured out a way to sue Roger Ailes, my alleged predator personally, and not Fox News under a human rights law that happened to be in the state of New York, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now because nobody would know about my story. And am I correct in that one of the reasons why you could pursue that avenue and actually get some form of justice was because you also had access to attorneys who could help you? Exactly. And this is, you know, this is one of the things I'm trying to change for, for women out there. One of, the, one of the biggest questions that I got after my case, Laura, was, um, you know, okay, we understand, you know, what we did, what you did and, and how you're trying to help other people. But 
you know, what about the single mom who's working two jobs and trying to make ends meet and raising kids and also being harassed? She literally can't afford to come forward. And, and that really troubled me and bothered me. Um, and I would lay awake at night going, what is my answer to that? Because I really didn't have a good one. And that is what was the impetus for forming this leadership initiative that I did across 13 cities in two years called the Gretchen Carlson Leadership Initiative, which basically I provided free clinics for underprivileged women to come and we provided childcare and food and they were able to um, learn about um, access to lawyers, learn about how to have a voice, learn about how to speak up for yourself. And the transformation of these women in just a couple of days was, was amazing. And so for me, that was a start of being able to provide these programs for women who otherwise wouldn't have the resources. And it's really what has kickstarted and continues my, my advocacy movement, um, because while it would be great for Gretchen to have her voice back and get out of my non-disclosure agreement, right. since movies have been, have been made about my story and I can't participate, <laughs> Um, I'm not doing this necessarily for Gretchen. I'm doing this for the millions of other people who don't have the resources that I may have. It's very clear between reading Fierce and looking at the various initiatives that you're generating. These are creating tools for women to find a voice, understand their experience, and then it looks like get on a path to changing what options they have as well as the options that we give lots of women. But I wanna dial back to that moment where you're confronted with this problem. You know, you, unfortunately, not you personally, cause I know you can't tell your story. I mean, the collective us of in the moment where you need to start um, addressing this issue in the workplace, most women are also pretty traumatized that this is an enormously undermining and frightening experience that women have had. And so when you think about the role of these different initiatives, there's the bill, there's um, Lift Your Voices, and there's the women's initiative, what's the sequencing of how we bring help to women in the moment and then in the structures in which we live? Yeah, the first thing is, and I laid this out in my book, Be Fierce, it's actually chapter four, it's my playbook for women. And I think it's it's really important if anyone is going through this at work um, or if they have friends who are to, to check out this chapter because it's my 12 point plan about what women should do. You know, never before has it been laid out in this way. And, and what we do typically as women is that we think that if we continue to work harder, we already have to work triply hard, right? But we think if we just keep pressing forward and knocking our head against the brick wall that finally they'll appreciate us at work, finally they'll pay us fairly and they'll give us a promotion and they'll stop harassing us. The problem is that that rarely gets you out of the situation because harassers, it's all about power and they simply don't let up, right? So what typically happens to women in these situations is that they, they keep working hard, they keep working hard, and one day they just lose it. And without a plan, they go to HR, which they think is the right place to go to, which is not. I mean, you're supposed to, but they don't, unfortunately, it's not really the best place. I advocate for an outside source to be able to handle these things. But you go there and you finally say, like, you, you blow, blow steam. You go, my God, this is happening to me, blah, blah, blah. And the genie's out of the bottle and you can't put it back in. And now... The company takes control and all those things we just talked about, like if you have an arbitration clause, it's over. Right. Like now the company basically wipes their brow and they go, Phew, no one will ever know about this because we're putting her into secret arbitration. And, 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 that's, and that's what's happening to millions of people. So you have to have a plan. So in my playbook, 
uh, I'll give you the top three things. You have to consult a lawyer. Um, I know people don't have finances to do that, but there are there are websites now where you can go to betterbrave.com. You can go to the National Women's Law Center in DC. They will help align you with lawyers um, to, to be able to, just for a 10 minute conversation, mm -hmm. find out if you have a case, you've got to do that, okay? Um, number two, you got to tell somebody because we still live in a he said, she said environment. We're getting better, but you have to have witnesses. And I know how hard it is, but, but you have to tell somebody so that they can say on October 10th, you know, 2020, this person told me this and, and you keep a log of that. Um, then evidence, 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 evidence. You have to gather evidence. Um, there are many ways to do that. Journaling, taping. I mean, there's all kinds of way that you can, and then you have to bring it home because I can't tell you, Laura, how many people reached out to me and said that they had been doing that, but then when they got fired, they couldn't go back to their office to get their evidence. So make sure that you take it, that you take it home. Those are the top three things, but check out my entire playbook in my book. In that whole scenario that you describe, it's very clear that the minute we go to HR thinking we're seeking help, what actually happens is we present as a problem for HR and they activate their systems to manage us as the problem as opposed to the internal problem that exists. When we encounter that happening and we go through these various um, elements of the playbook, um, what, how much time um, should we let pass in between each of these stages? Do we run immediately to our lawyers? Do we do all of it instantly? Or like one of the things I read was that you went through almost a year, was it, of recording conversations to create the documentation that you needed. How do we pace ourselves in this process so that um, we don't wind up tripping uh, we don't trip up ourselves, but yet we can also get out of there safely and um, get our rights protected. Yeah, it's a delicate situation. And by the way, because of my NDA, I can't confirm what you just said or not. But hypothetically, <laughs> hypothetically, I can tell you that iPhones are very helpful. Um, <laughs> and and so, you know, evidence, I think, uh, tell, uh, gathering evidence is, is the most important thing. Because if you don't, if you don't have that, it's very easy for them to just say, well, we don't believe you. Um, and, and that evidence doesn't need to be like it's out of a crime show. It no. can be as simple as keeping a journal. Yes. You've written down what's happened with the date noted. Yes. I mean, it's, it's imperative that, that, um, that you have written something down. And then of course that you tell people because having witnesses is also important. Um, and I would just say that, uh, the reason I said it's delicate is because of the thousands of women who reach out to me, I, I don't profess to know um, what's best for every person. Um, all I can do is try to change the laws and the way in which we handle this in the workplace and try to change the culture and educate companies to stop hiding this, right? And get on the right side of history. But for each woman and man, this is such a personal choice. And women and men are right when they say, well, when I come forward, I'm gonna lose my job and no one will wanna hire me again. Yeah, you're right. I mean, this is real. This is real. And so I'm trying to change that. And I think we have made great strides in a very short period of time, but yeah, that's still a risk. Retaliation is probably the most undersold part of this story. Um, you know, the media likes to focus on the headlines of, of the sexual impropriety that may have been going on, uh, but they, they haven't focused as much on what happens to you when you don't acquiesce, right? Right. 
I mean, that's the real torture. I think a lot of women would say, yeah, I could put up with the comments. I'm not saying they're right. Um, I'm not saying the requests are right, but it was the retaliation that was the real killer because that's what really stymied me at my job, right? Like they stopped taking away opportunities for you. They stopped um, promoting you. They, they, they cut your pay. They minimize you. They make you feel like you're crazy. They gaslight you. You feel all alone. I mean, all these things that, um, that are the real problems I think created for, for women. So it's, a, it's such a personal choice, but um, I like to say that courage is contagious. And, <laughs> yes. and, and when, you know, listen, I've, I've, I've counseled just thousands of people. Um, and when they do actually decide to jump off their own cliff, um, it's so liberating. And, um, and it's so great to see these women empowered after they do it. And, and they're like, you know, thank you for giving me the, the courage to, to do this. And I will just end by saying that the more we do stand up and speak up, the more we solve this. That's, that's the only way we're going to do this is to have an open dialogue about it. Absolutely. And one of the things that I really appreciate that you're doing is also helping explain what the elements are to this kind of systemic um, harassment. Um, and I want to back up for a minute because there's another term that you've been using alongside the idea of forced arbitration clauses, which are NDAs. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about their relationship to the contracts that we sign, how they function, are they connected or independent? Yeah, uh, they're independent, but they're usually connected in contracts. So a non-disclosure agreement and arbitration are the two silencing mechanisms that companies use to make sure they cover up their dirty laundry. That's the easiest way to put it. Um, they have actually been abused over the last three decades. This was not the intent of arbitration. Arbitration was for like, unclogging the court systems for petty little cases like my neighbor chopped down my fence and they owe me 200 bucks and we can't come to a compromise so we have to go to court and judges are like forget it like let's send that to arbitration right that makes right. sense for arbitration not for human rights violations for god's sake but that's where we've ended up because companies got smart to cover up their crap and so they started forcing these arbitration clauses on people okay at the same time many employees like one third of us now in America, when we onboard to a new job in our contract, we also have a non-disclosure agreement, which means that we can never tell anyone what happened to us at work or for that matter, anyone else. Now, we understand at Lift Our Voices, my nonprofit that's working to end these two things. We understand that NDAs have a purpose at companies for proprietary information. You would understand this too, Laura. I mean, obviously you can't walk across the street and give a rival company the secrets, right? No, of course not. So we're not talking about eradicating NDAs for trade secrets, but companies again have gotten smart to incorporate them to mean anything that happens to you at work. So on your first day of work, you basically start work silenced. Muted from the get-go. From the get-go. Now, the other kind of NDA is, well, I had both of those. So I had arbitration NDA on onboarding, okay? Right. Then I also had another stringent NDA after I settled with Fox News. So this is the other way that the people are fired. Um, they have a, you know, a severance package, they have a settlement. The only way to get that in the olden days, I like to call it because I'm trying to change this too, is that they basically paid you for your silence, right? So then you sign another NDA, which at the time when I signed mine four and a half years ago, for God's sake, I had no idea that I was going to help to ignite some sort of a movement where we would actually be having the discussion 
about not having NDAs anymore. Right. And this, you know, it's part of the process. So I signed it. I wish I hadn't, but um, this is why I'm trying to change it for everyone else. And we can see how it's played out with the Weinstein case, which came right on the heels of yours, but where we've learned how many women have been silenced because of the settlements that happened with the Weinstein company that now they want to lift because it, it's become a matter of national importance and safety. Right. Well, I've asked Fox News, um, a group of us have asked us to be let out, um, which was actually the impetus of forming my nonprofit, Lift Our Voices, um, because it just, that was the genesis of it, is that we went to them and, and said, look, times have changed. And if you have nothing more to hide, and if you've changed, let us out. Um, we've not heard back from them. But that, that was the genesis of us creating this organization to, um, to try and get other companies to, to do the same thing. And I'm happy to tell you that some companies have done this. They are on the right side of history. Um, after I introduced my bill the first time at the end of 2017, Microsoft immediately acted and took arbitration clauses out of their employment contracts. The Google walkout was all about this. So um, they were protesting arbitration clauses. The next day, Google took them out. Now you have Facebook, Airbnb, eBay. I mean, you have a slew of companies in the tech industry um, that have decided to, to take these clauses out. I mean, actually in New Jersey, we helped to pass a, a law there. It's the only law on the books right now that bans NDAs as well. So we're, we're coming at it from, from both sides on arbitration and NDAs through legislation too. It also seems like you're coming at another industry, particularly financial services, but this time as an investor. Can you share a little bit about what you what recently happened with Goldman Sachs and the request that they stop doing this? Yeah, so, so one of the tranches of work that we do at Lift Our Voices um, that we've added now is to put a pressure point on companies through shareholders and investors. Um, you know, a, a lot a lot of these pressure points have started after the Me Too movement, right? Then we had BLM. Um, and so you already have pressure points like you need to have a certain number of women on your boards and you need to have a certain number of minorities on your boards. And so what we're doing now is, hey, by the way, you need to examine these silencing mechanisms too. Because as long as you keep everyone silent, I don't care how many people you have on your board, nothing's going to change because the silence is the first step. So. I am a shareholder in Goldman Sachs, um, so I was able to join their annual meeting a couple of weeks ago. And because of that, you can submit a question. And I'd written a letter to them in advance so they knew that it was coming, but I have to say they didn't have to take the question, but they did. Okay. Um, basically asked, you know, there was a resolution on the table for vote to have them uh, be able, or they would be forced to examine mandatory arbitration that they use. Um, their board voted unanimously to vote that resolution down. But I asked my question and an astounding number of votes came onto my side. 49% of shareholders in Goldman Sachs have said that they want that examination to happen. That's overwhelming. I mean, had it been just 51%, they would have had done it. But, but for the first time at it, um, with, without a lot of publicity on it, yeah, that sends, that sends a very strong message to Goldman Sachs that America is learning about this and that they, that they don't like it. They don't like these silencing mechanisms. So in Goldman Sachs's explanation, they were defending the value of arbitration as you described for organizations. But it seems like one of the things, as you noted, that they didn't address was that it makes sense when you're talking about the small stuff, not this kind of stuff. Right. But it also seems to be in the vacuum of a discussion of what does this cost the company when this kind of silence and insidious bias seeps into the organization? Um, a lot. 
I mean, there's been studies done that show that, um, especially when it's the CEO that may, may be the alleged harasser, that the stock drops 6.5% on that announcement alone. And the study also shows that if companies do what we want them to do, which is become woke and either admit it when it happens or take these silencing mechanisms out, that the effect of that stock drop is much less. So, you know, when you own up to something now um, and, and actually come forward instead of trying to hide things, you're going to get a much better reception, not only economically, but, but from a PR point of view as well. So um, this is something that we want to study so much more at Lift Our Voices, and that's why we're on a major fundraising mission right now, because nobody has, nobody has studied this because nobody cared about this until now. Right, and you've got both the platform and it sounds like the the human resources and hopefully the financial resources coming down the pike to be able to mobilize this to look across industries and persuade them of the importance of this as a matter of their own survival. Exactly. And everyone has a stake in this. Um, if people want to help us out, even with five bucks, 20 bucks, whatever, they can go to liftourvoices.org. Um, any donation counts. We're, we're all in this together. And women and men, by the way, we invite men to be a part of this conversation. We need them. This is not male bashing. This is about inviting them into the conversation to understand better where we're coming from and to help us. Um, and so, you know, really, really important that I make that point of view. So before we take a short break with Goldman, what happens next? Because this seems like it was the opening step. Will this come up on the agenda again? Uh, well, if we have anything to say about it, yes. Um, you know, we have the ability to get this resolution, as I discussed, um, you know, on their docket. Um, and then, you know, now we'll have an entire year to be publicizing it to, to educate even more people who are investors in Goldman and not just Goldman. Listen, we're not just picking on them. It's, it's, we're doing this with a lot of other companies as well. Um, but I think that there's going to be some serious introspection going on uh, because the American public is now interested in this and they want to fix it. Yep. And it's part of, I think, an overall shift that we're seeing in creating more equitable workplaces um, for everyone. So in our first half hour, um, you were sharing a number of different kind of spokes of the wheel of the work that you're doing now to really change the world that we live in and how we experience um, sexual harassment, advocacy. And you noted a number of, I'd say, entrepreneurial ventures that you're involved in. So one of them that kept coming up is Lift Our Voices. Um, talk to me about what that is and how and why you started it. Yeah, so Lift Our Voices is a nonprofit that I started with two other women who were also um, at Fox News with me, um, who also filed lawsuits uh, against them about 10 months after I did. Um, and the genesis was, was really that um, movies were being made about my story, miniseries were being made about my story, and I couldn't even comment on them because of these stringent silencing mechanisms that were put into my contracts. Um, and, and we started discussing wow, you know, there are so many other women, maybe millions who've been silenced in a similar way um, and their stories aren't being played out on the big screen, but they need help. And so I was already doing so much other advocacy work on the Hill and in general, and we just decided to create a nonprofit to really serve as the umbrella organization over all the work that I was doing. So we started about 15 months ago. Um, we've had you know, amazing success in a, in a short period of time when there were about 20 people running for president um, back in January of 2020, we went to each candidate and we said, will you join the mission of Lift Our Voices to stop silencing women in the workplace? 
and we got almost every presidential candidate to join on to our mission. Um, another major accomplishment was that we wrote an op-ed in the Des Moines Register the morning of a big debate, a democratic debate in Des Moines. We asked the moderators, please ask a question about arbitration or NDAs, because this has never been out in the, you know, in the major um, publicity area for, for people to understand it. And to our surprise, they asked the question. And if people remember, that was the debate where Mike Bloomberg was a little bit back on his heels and mm -hmm. Elizabeth Warren was going after him, quite honestly, about the NDAs. Again, we're an apolitical organization. We're not cheering for any candidate to succeed or fail, but you know, we were happy that that question was asked so that people started to get a greater understanding of how bad and detrimental these clauses are. Um, and then um, the pandemic hit. You know, so but we but we we've been working incredibly hard um, along the way. As I mentioned earlier, um, I testified before the House again in the new Congress now for my bill, and I'm very optimistic that I'm going to get this passed. And Laura, this is really a game changer in in our world um, for for women and men in the workplace. This will be if I can do this. This will be my my greatest accomplishment in my life, aside from having my children. Uh, because it will it'll change the landscape for so many people and no longer will companies be able to just force you into silence um you'll you'll be able to have your day in court if you want it and then you know hopefully the the goal of lift our voices when we get rid of these silencing mechanisms is just is to at the same time change the culture and the way we handle these kinds of cases because all women really want to do is work and the way it currently operates is that when you have the courage to come forward, you are forced out of your work. Right. And the scary reality is you never work again in your chosen profession because you get blacklisted. So what I'm trying to change through Lift Our Voices is the culture too. When women come forward, they should be able to keep their job and the predator should be the one or the harasser, whatever they are, they should be the one that has to go. Now you don't need to have settlements, non-disclosure agreements, arbitration, because you don't have a case, because you don't need it, because the woman just keeps to keep, you know, staying in her job. Now that sounds pretty simple, but it's really hard to change cultural and social norms about how we think about this issue. So it really starts at the top. If anyone's listening who runs a company, it starts with you. Mm -hmm. It starts with you putting out a dynamic in an environment at your company that you're not going to be accepting of this kind of you know, harassment behavior and that you're going to celebrate the people who actually come forward. Um, so that's, you know, that's our long-term goal at Lift Our Voices. And, um, but first we're starting with the baby steps. So I wanna take a step back to the bill for a second because when you talk about your accomplishments for the few people out there who don't know, you are um, a, a superb violinist to say the least an accomplished journalist you've had a lot of um you you've excelled at almost everything you've ever done so to talk about this in that context is one of your greatest accomplishments that means a great deal hmm. i also hear you plugging this into if culture stops at the top what's above the organization what's above the board of trustees it's actually the government it's the systems and laws that we work within. So how does an individual, granted, I'm gonna gather a relatively well-connected individual who understands how systems work, get a bill onto the floor of the house? Yeah, so actually getting the bill there is not as much of a tough road, it's passing it. 
you know, uh, I think if you think about your own members of Congress in your particular states, they may be able to say, well, I've introduced a thousand pieces of legislation, but when you ask them, how many have you actually passed? <laughs> it's, a, it's a much smaller number. Now that's not totally their fault. It's because we live in the most hyper-partisan divided time ever in America, which is my whole other project that I'm um, involved with now with Cinch that I know we're gonna talk about. Um, so, so introducing the bill, yes, um, I, I had to have connections in DC. I work with a specific you know, lobbying group, but quite honestly, it's been a great partnership because there've been a lot of people fighting against arbitration for a long time, but it just never got any publicity because it's kind of a wonky issue. So they were looking for a face, you know, to come in and be able to say, you know, somebody of some prominence to be able to say that we, I was fighting for arbitration and I was looking for the people who already knew a whole bunch about it. So we've been good partners. Um, and they've been relieved to have somebody like myself who wants to advocate for this. Um, and then the other thing was getting legislators on, on board. So I have Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, Democrat out of New York, and you're not gonna believe this because it's an odd partnership, but I have Senator Lindsey Graham out of South Carolina, Republican, and they are my co-sponsors on my bill in the Senate. They probably don't agree on anything else, but <laughs> this proves that this is not a, a political issue or it shouldn't be. Sexual harassment is apolitical, by the way. Before somebody does something to you, they don't care what party you're in, okay? Yeah. So same thing's happening in the House. I have a Republican um, and, and a Democrat. And so we, we first introduced it. Um, again, my bill is simple. It's only three pages long. Um, and it's a good compromise between the two parties. Now, passing it, whew, that's the hard work because I've walked the halls of Congress for the last three and a half years, uh, taking any meeting that I can get trying to encourage people to, to sign on to my bill. Um, sometimes it's an easy road, sometimes it's really tough. Sometimes I get them, sometimes I don't. But I will tell you that um, as I continue this effort, um, it's become easier to get people to come along on the journey with me because they realize that this mission isn't going away. And I think initially companies thought this too, they thought that it was a passing fad, so maybe they didn't have to be introspective and make changes, but now they're realizing, hmm, this probably isn't going away, so maybe we have to do something about it. So, so for, for those folks who are listening, um, what can they do to help? Should we be writing to our congressmen? What can we do to help move this along? Yeah, because I was going to say, you said the government sits over companies, but I was also going to add into that, that it's actually the power of the people. You know, um, one of my favorite quotes is, one woman can make a difference, but together we rock the world. And that is so true on any issue, and especially this issue. So, you know, one person can have an idea like the Google walkout, and then it turns into a 20,000 person event. Um, and so people have, you, you got everyone listening to this, you have a voice. You can call your members of Congress, ask them to support my bill to get rid of arbitration. The old number, HR 1443. Um, ask them to get on the right side of history. Um, go to your own employers and ask them to take arbitration clauses out of their contracts. I mean, there's there's so much that we can do. Um, I've even passed along the gift of courage to my kids. You know, my kids are now advocates. They're teenagers and they're advocates for this. It's really important to inoculate our young people with this information so that when they become the future leaders of America, they don't put these onerous clauses in their employment contracts. So there's a lot of ways that, that we all have power with just our voice. And I think the biggest way is, one of the things that's really kept this movement working is, is the people of America through social media. Mm -hmm. um, they, they started sharing their own stories. 
And there's so much power in that. And it makes so many other people know that they're not alone. Absolutely. Um, and for those of you who are listening, you're not alone. You're here with us. And this is Women at Work on Business Radio on Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, and I'm talking with journalist, author, game changer, Gretchen Carlson. So Gretchen, um, one of the things that's behind this story, interestingly, of actually bringing Kirsten Gillibrand and Lindsey Graham onto the same issue, I think is um, comes back to something you do all the time, which is your primary job which is helping people understand the issues of our time in a non-political way. Mm -hmm. um, talk to me about, aside from all of this incredibly important work you're doing to generate change, you're still telling stories and helping us understand the world around us. Um, what's the current form that that's taking for you? Yeah, so I'm, well, I have three jobs in this area. Um, I'm, I'm a people TV show special contributor. So I tell um, empowerment stories of people making a difference. Um, it's through People Magazine, and it's a new show, and so that's wonderful to be back in the TV game. I also do a Monday through Friday podcast called Get the News with Gretchen on quakemedia.com, and that is straight down the middle headlines. It was so important for me to create this because this divide in America really bothers me. I'm a big compromise person, and so many people came to me and said, well, where can I just get the headlines that aren't, you know, fake news or things that I can trust? And that was really the genesis of creating my Straight Down the Middle podcast. And then I decided to partner with the technology of Cinch um, to bring sort of these really difficult stories that are going on in America right now where people can't get along that a myriad of issues to bring them to the forefront in something called unreadmessages.org. Um, and this is actually launching now just this week where people can go to that website and you can see real life conversations happening with two people who are at odds about a particular issue that's very important to them. So for example, politics, or for example, whether or not they should get the vaccine, or for example, an evangelical pastor whose dad comes out as trans, or for example, a young conservative guy at college whose girlfriend is a feminist. So all of these conversations play out over text messaging. And so if you go to this website, unreadmessages.org, you can see these stories playing out. And the goal here, Laura, is that in seeing these stories play out that you will go home to your own family and your own dinner tables and start having these kind of tough conversations about issues that are dividing us so much in this country right now. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but 70% of Republicans and Democrats in a new study uh, say that we, they feel we're greatly divided in America. Mm -hmm. And eight out of 10 say that when they actually dialogue about it, things get better. So it's kind of like stepping into the shoes of these people at unread messages, seeing their stories, and then feeling the empathy of coming together, and then hoping that that's also contagious, just like courage, <laughs> and that encourages us to have these tough conversations. So empathy and courage, I think those are two important and beautiful words to hold on to. Um, you have a lot of experience, though, in taking in information, sorting it out, and trying to figure out um, how to make sense out of it and how to explain it to other people. As we go into experiences, um, or let's say we start taking a look at this extraordinary new form of tell, like it's an amazing form of storytelling using digital technology. Mm -hmm. um, how can we, what advice do you have for us on how we can start to really hear each other? Mm -hmm. 
Well, I think it's such a brilliant move because it's like the first chat docu-series, right? And we live now in a world where social media and text messaging and whatever new technology is on the horizon um, isn't going away, right? So this is the way especially young people communicate. And sometimes, um, you know, even my kids will text me from another room in the same house, <laughs> right? I mean, this is the way they, they operate. This is the way they think. This is the way I think, even in my generation. So I think it was a brilliant move to show um, through the way in which people are communicating more and more to have these tough conversations. Of course, we're not saying that you shouldn't also have them face to face, but I think sometimes it can be easier to do tough conversations via text or if you're like in the car and your kid's in the back seat and you're not actually looking face to face, sometimes you can start having these difficult conversations. I've had a lot of people tell me that's how they started the sex talk. Um, and, and that's a way to you know bring us together, hopefully face to face, as I said earlier, where we're actually at the dinner table or enjoying a holiday together where we can bridge the gap. I mean, how many families right now are torn apart by politics? I mean, so, so many people are getting divorced over this because they can't see eye to eye. And my biggest piece of advice as somebody who's a journalist who sifts through all these stories to try to get to the facts is that please watch or listen to something that you don't agree with at least once a week. Because what we do now is we just go into our echo chambers and we put on our blinders and we only watch what we wanna hear and what we agree with already. And therefore we just create an even deeper divide in our country. But if you actually look at these test messages or you watch something that you don't agree with, it's a start to having more of an open mind and starting a dialogue. We used to do this, you know, even in Congress. We used to come <laughs> together and, and now we don't get anything done except my bill. Um, and so, you know, the, the idea is that this will help to generate um, a new beginning for the divided nation that we exist in right now. Gretchen, for yourself, when you're in the midst of consuming information, whether it's a conversation with somebody, you're reading something, you're watching something, and you feel in your, you don't agree with it. What do you do to help yourself stay connected, stay open, and look for the thing that you weren't hearing at first? Yeah, I think, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on my journalist hat, and then I'm going to put on my Gretchen hat. Um, right. So as a journalist, you know, you're not supposed to have opinions. Um, and so when you, I think the most important thing in storytelling is that you tell both sides of the story. I mean, that was always the, the rule when I started in journalism. You tell both sides of the story and you have two sources for any kind of a story. There were so many stories I wanted to tell, but I didn't have the, the two sources, right? So um, I think it's really important to be, like I'm a registered independent. I think that it's really important for journalists. I mean, it's their personal opinion, but I think it's important to be um, an independent. Um, I think it makes it easier to say that you're not picking sides one way or another. Mm -hmm. So that's my journalist hat. Um, as the Gretchen hat, I have learned over time, well, this is part journalism too. The greatest skill in communicating is actually not talking, it's listening. And that's your greatest skill as an interviewer because maybe you wrote out your 10 questions that you wanted to ask. And if you don't listen to the person you're interviewing, you just, you know, like a railroad train, you just go through all those questions as fast as you can. But if you're actually listening, you might learn something new and go in a completely different direction. So I think that's really important as a journalist and also just as a person. 
You don't have to agree with what the person's saying to you, but if you honor them by listening to it and saying, I honor your feelings, you're not necessarily agreeing with them, but by just saying that you honor them and that you're listening to them, that is the first bridge across the divide. And it's really hard to do, <laughs> really hard to not just blow off <laughs> you know, somebody that you don't agree with or blow up at them. Um, but I have found, especially in the last four years with our increasing political divide, um, with even friends of mine and members of my family, that when I just stop for a moment, take a deep breath, listen and tell them that I honor their feelings, um, that we get to a much better place. I found this um, in every area of my life, but most especially at home with my teenager, mm -hmm. um, that it's become essential to um, acknowledging how she evolves as she enters into adulthood, the ways that she's developing her own way of looking at the world and making sure that she's going to stay in conversation with me. You've got two kids who have been exposed to an enormous amount um, by virtue of the work that you do. Um, how are you listening to them and talking with them about these experiences and about the way that your work is unfolding now? Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, because this is really an emotional thing for me. I mean, my children were my paramount concern before I decided to file my lawsuit. Um, they were, you know, four and a half years younger. So they were, let's see, they were 14 and they were 13 and 11. Um, Tender ages, especially for these kinds of topics. Oh gosh, middle school is tough enough for them. And I was just so worried that they were made fun of or teased or bullied. Um, and they didn't deserve that. And so, they were my paramount concern. Um, a cute, funny story when I, when I told my kids the night before I filed my lawsuit that mommy got fired and um, you know that I was going to be doing this and that we were going to have a lot of press attention. Um, my son immediately said to me, "What's going to happen to our babysitter?" <laughs> and I'm like, "What about mom?" But anyway, um, <laughs> he was he was he had a he had a kind heart. He was very worried that we weren't going to have his babysitter anymore, who had been with him for ten years. And I told him she was going to be taken care of. Don't worry, she's still here. Um, but, but, you know, eventually I, I found that my kids, uh, that the courage was contagious, even with my kids. And my daughter came home from school after she went back to school. My story was of course, over the summertime. Um, and, and she came home, she said, mom, so many people asked me about what happened to my mom over the summertime. And I was like, uh oh, and she said, and mom, she said, I was so proud to tell them that you were my mom. And a couple weeks later, she had had some kids that were bugging her and she had never found the confidence to say anything back to them. And she came home and she said, mom, I finally said something to them and I did it because I saw you do it. I mean, these are things I will never forget and I know she will never forget. My son in the same way has been, you know, his eyes have been wide open watching his mom do these things. And quite honestly, it's our sons that we really need to get to even more than our daughters because these are the future men who are, we're gonna be working with. Mm -hmm. and men that we need to change the hearts and minds of before well we can and before they establish all of their cultural norms and and values so my children um listen they're going to make mistakes and and along the way but i know that they've been given this gift of courage and um and they actually rally behind me now um and it's 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 just it's the most glorious thing to see happen so for those of us who have kids who are eager to help um, change the world that they're entering. Um, I know my daughter is one of them. She's um, 
you know, an activist to her core, and also as part of the developmental process, becoming increasingly critical about what she reads, what she sees, how she takes in information. Um, how do you, any advice that you have for whether it's the parents of the teenagers or our teenagers themselves about how to go out and find avenues to, for their energy about these issues that they care so much about? Yeah, you know, listen, I think high school and college especially are wonderful places and hopefully all viewpoints are going to be honored um, back to what we were discussing earlier. Um, but also I've seen, especially with young people who come to hear me speak, and by the way, it's both men and women, which is also very heartening because it's not just women. We shouldn't, it shouldn't just be on our shoulders to fix this, as I said earlier. Right. But they actually have said to me that, you know, they, they have much more courage, I think, um, because they really want to solve issues in their generation more than maybe we did or have the ability to, they don't have any problem going to their workplaces and, and having conversations with HR and saying, you know what, why do we have these clauses? Even just a small group of them. And, and so I advocate for them to do that. Um, they also are very, mu they're much more um, involved in wanting to make a, a difference and, yes. and wanting to have their company have missions that they can align themselves with. Um, so if anyone's young out there and they're listening, you know, check out my website, liftourvoices.org and let, you know, let me know if you wanna help in your own communities increase awareness about these things. Um, or if you, you know, want to call your members of Congress, you don't have to be old to do that. By the way, <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but men call their members of Congress at a really high percentage rate compared to women. So we gotta- I didn't know that. Oh my gosh, it's like 10 to one. We have to pick up the phone, you know, as women and, and have our voices heard. It's all part of this movement where our voices matter. We've been given license to speak up and have a voice. And, and it's so um, liberating when you finally use it in that way. So I encourage everyone to either go to their place of work and have their voice heard or, you know, pick up the phone and call their member of Congress. Gretchen, I can't tell you how grateful we are that you let your voice be heard, that you help us understand the world that we live in on a daily basis and have for a number of years now, but also that you're telling your story, the parts of it that you're allowed to, and guiding us on how we can understand and change this world that we're living in. I thank you so much for all of the work that you're doing. Um, once again, for those who want to get involved, find you, get involved and lift our voices, where should they go? Yeah, liftourvoices.org. Um, and especially for young people who text nonstop, go to unreadmessages.org to check out these really interesting conversations about coming together um, as a nation. I think especially for, for young people, this is really high on their list of what they want to accomplish in their life. Um, and then, you know, if you want to check out my bill, just Google HR 1443. Um, it's pretty simple. It changes the, the federal law on arbitration and the Supreme Court ruling um, to, to make workplaces safer for all of us. Uh, and it's just, it's really, really important to me, but it will change the landscape for everyone in the workplace. So as many voices as we have calling the members of Congress to say that you support this bill, they listen to you, you know, they want your vote. So it does matter when, when you have your voice heard. Here, here. Gretchen, thank you so much for all of this. And thank you everyone for listening. If you have a question about anything you heard on today's show, just email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. You can follow us on Twitter at our handle at SXM Business and me 
at Laura's Arrow. Many thanks, as always, to my producer, Patty Hall, my sound engineer, Chris Tukes. I'm Laura's Arrow, and you've been listening to Women at Work here on Sirius XM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Have a great week, everybody, and hold on to your empathy and carry that courage. Thanks so much. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.